My guest today is someone I had the pleasure of sharing space with during my time as a student at Seton Hall and who I am so proud to call a dear friend. Class of 2012 graduate, Claudia Guevara's life journey has been marked by her Seton Hall experience, particularly the invested mentorship she received while she was a student there. That care and guidance inspired her to pay it forward through a career in higher education. Her journey has also been marked by tremendous adversity. At the age of about 30 years old, Claudia had experienced the kinds of challenges many don't experience in a lifetime. And in this episode, she shares with us how she pushed through, anchored in her faith. Take a listen. Claudia, welcome to the Pirate's Eye podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you on for this episode. I love having people on who I have a personal connection with. It just makes it like all the more fun and um, all the more interesting since I have, you know, a little bit of knowledge about what your life at mm -hmm. Seton Hall was like. Um, but I'm also really interested in getting into your story. We haven't touched base in, in a while, in, in a deep way. So this is going to be a fun opportunity for me to learn a little bit about what you've been up to in your career, but also the Seton Hall alumni community. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It, you're so right. This uh, already feels very nostalgic, and I'm really excited for the opportunity just to catch up and talk a little bit about, I guess, you know, what's been going on. Yeah. All right. So let's start there. Let's start with the lived experience at Seton Hall that I had the opportunity to be part of. <laughs> You're a class graduate of 2012. Ooh. And what was your experience at Seton Hall like? Like, why did you end up at Seton Hall? <clears throat> and what were, if you could pull out some nuggets from your time as a student there, what were some of the highlights? Well, I'll start by if, using a word, right? If I could choose a word to describe my experience at Seton Hall, I would use transformative for many reasons. But I'll start by saying that my journey at Seton Hall was, Seton Hall was exactly where I needed to be. I just didn't know it at the time. So when I was looking into going to college, Seton Hall was not where I thought I was going to end up at. And I, I love that part of my story because I am very, very deep in my faith. And I truly believe that, you know, we make plans and God laughs, right? Um, and But he's always putting us in position to be exactly where we need to be. Um, at the exact time, right? And so, um, nevertheless, I ended up at Seton Hall, and I'm so grateful uh, looking back um, because my journey at Seton Hall started with Seton Hall University's EOP, uh, the Educational Opportunity Program, which was in and of itself transformative. As a first gen going into college, I faced a lot of self doubt. There was a lot of just lack of confidence going in. Um, and it was very much one of those experiences of like feeling the fear and doing it anyway. I always knew that yeah. I was going to go to college. I had no idea how I was going to afford it, but I knew that I just had to go because I didn't have something to fall back on. And so for context, when I went, when I started my journey at Seed Hall, I had already experienced a number of adversity in my life. I had already, I had suffered, you know, parent loss. My mother passed when I was nine and my father was really going through, you know, the the consequences of that, you know, dealing with his own depression, falling into mm. alcoholism. And so the week leading up to going to Seton Hall, I noticed that my dad wasn't feeling well. 
And um, I told him to promise me that if it continued to please like go to the doctor. Long story short, um, first week in the summer EOP program, I learned that my father was terminally ill. And so when I said earlier that I believe that God put me at Seton Hall for a reason, it's because when I got to Seton Hall, it's where it was a place where I discovered community immediately, literally within mm. the first week. The way that the um, advisors and counsel counselors and staff um, in the EOP program showed up for me with only knowing me for just a matter of days was overwhelming, but also I think that it implanted something in me that led to what I ended up doing later on in my career. I wanted to be able to continue to provide that level of support for others. And he ended up passing away my first semester of college in the middle of finals week. And of course it was a really challenging time, but believe it or not, that was the semester where I thrived the most. I had the probably the highest GPA and it was really, you know, I could credit the community that I had. My, um, you know, EOP counselor, who I still keep in contact with today, which is a testament to how powerful that community was and how intentional they were with really investing in me. So I wasn't just a mm. student or a number or someone that they needed to, you know, make sure they met outcomes. Like they genuinely saw me um, as someone who was in need and they saw my potential. So I'm so grateful for my time at Seton Hall. And that's only touching on the piece of community. But Seton Hall was also the place where I discovered my leadership identity. Going into Seton Hall as a first gen, when I was in high school, I was never part of clubs. I worked because I needed to pay. I, no one had no one was going to give me money. And I wanted a cell phone. I wanted to buy myself <laughs> things. So I chose right. work. Um, but when I got to Seton Hall, literally freshman year of college, I already was immersed in this culture of student leadership. And there was so much... Um, activity on campus, Adelante being one of them, which is where that's where our worlds collide, right? And that's my second year at Seton Hall as a sophomore, I remember fall semester, I believe, um, or actually might have been the spring semester of my freshman year, but neither, nevertheless, we were at, I was in University Hall in the foyer, and the Adelante, um, which is a Latino student organization at Seton Hall that I was a part of, and served on the executive board for three years, I had no idea that was going to be the case. But here I was a freshman and the Adelante advisor, who's actually an EOP alum and was an EOP counselor at the time at Seton Hall, walks up to me and literally just says, and she did it, I didn't know it at the time, but she was planting a seed, said to me, you know, there's an open a position on the executive board um, for the community service chair, you should apply. And hearing those words, I was confused, but I was also, I felt a boost of confidence because I had so much respect for her. So I thought to myself, if she believes that I should apply, then mm. I guess I should apply. And I say that to say that from that moment on, it was history from there. The The next year I became president of the organization. So I had the That's pleasure right. of uh, serving my first year on the e-board with you as my president. And apparently I did a good enough job where people believed in me enough to um, encouraged me to apply for president to the point that I wasn't even going to apply because that's how deep my imposter syndrome ran at the um, and still does. And I was going to consider the vice president. But once again, um, you know, Viviana Zambrano, who was the advisor at the time, was like, why don't you apply for president? And I was like, me? President? <laughs> I've never thought of myself as president of anything. But nevertheless, I, I shot my shot. And again, I th think a lot of the themes in my life have been um, in that phrase that of feel the fear and do it anyway. And mm. you learn by doing. And that's it. And I, even now as a professional with like over 10 years of experience and working in higher education, I credit my experience 
back to Adelante and back to all the student leadership organizations. And I also was really involved with uh, the volunteer office on campus. I was a work study with uh, Dove, the Division of Volunteer Efforts, for three out of the four years I was there. And I also, through that experience, learned my love for service. And mm. I discovered my identity not just as a leader, but as a servant leader. And so that is just woven into the fabric of pretty much everything that I do now um, as a professional. So overall, I would say my experience was incredible and I'm really grateful for the opportunity for the time that I had there. I love it. I love hearing you run through your Seton Hall experience because I do know some of it, but then you're you're shining some light on some pieces that I didn't know. And something that really spoke to me from what you just said right now is that sense of somebody believing in, in you and somebody investing in you, right? You use the word invest. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is so critical in the experience of a young person going to college, a person who is first gen, right? A person who may be feeling like this world that they're walking into is foreign and <clears throat> unknown. That's how it was for me. And so when I hear you say you felt that there were folks investing in you, mm -hmm. like if you could imagine what your college experience would have been without that, without feeling instantly that people were invested in you, that people saw something in you, that they believed in you, mm -hmm. what do you think your experience would have been like? Who would you be today? Could you imagine it? I would not, I would not be this courageous. I would not be this brave. And I, for certain, don't think that I would have been able to navigate the challenges that were going to come next in life in the mm -hmm. capacity that I was able to um, because of that level of support. Because the truth mm -hmm. is that while freshman year was a really challenging year with the loss of my father, life continued to life after that. You know, you know, there was a lot of support uh, getting through college, right? Um, but after college, there's a whole other level and lifetime of first. As a first gen, the the experience of experiencing first never ends, right? Mm. But having that mentorship, right? I, my mentor, Viviana Zambrano, I again, she's also someone who I still keep in contact with today, to the point that she was one of my recommenders for the organization that I work with now. And she is just a powerhouse. And I, I never get tired of speaking about her and singing her praises. Um, and then my advisor, my EOP counselor, was literally the reason why I made it my life goal to become an EOF counselor um, as one of my career milestones. And I did that later on because that's how impactful she was in my life. She was someone who she met my father in the hospital. So she went above and beyond um, her role as a you know student affairs professional. She really saw me um, and it meant everything. So I think that if I hadn't had that level of support, I would not have had the tools or the confidence or um, even like the belief in self that I can do hard things. And mm. these people have taught me in many ways that I can do hard things, but that there is so much power in community. And, you know, it, I'm grateful that I didn't have to necessarily seek these people out. I feel that God was did that by design. But it also encouraged me once I realized, wow, like I, I'm learning these things. I'm I'm getting so much out of this. It inspired me and motivated me to continue to seek out more opportunities. So I became resourceful and a bit of a nerd when it came to professional development. So I was that student who was volunteering to attend the free 
conferences, the leadership yeah, yeah. events, <laughs> anything that allowed me to grow and develop um, personally or professionally, I was all in because I I saw the impact. I saw how it was really just changing the way I felt about myself and just helping me grow as, as a leader. I identify so hard with that. And Viviana Zambrano, also mm-hmm. one of my longtime mentors and a true friend and someone who also made me feel that I could do hard things, mm-hmm. right? So to share a little bit, when right before, when so when you started serving on the executive board of Adelante mm-hmm. and I was serving as president, similar to you the year before when I applied, I didn't apply as president as my first choice. I applied for VP as my first choice and maybe president was like my third choice. And Viv said to me, you know, why? Why did you list it like that? Mm -hmm. And honestly, it was the same thing. It was this imposter syndrome. It was this feeling of like, I don't know that I'm the right fit or I don't know if I should dare. Should I have the audacity to put president as first, right? Like, that takes such a level of audacity, it takes such a mm-hmm. level of like, I I almost felt like I needed to be more humble. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful to see people in a position where they can identify leadership in a student, where they can identify potential in a student and guide that person into that potential and into that leadership like she did for you. And, I, and you know, she did that for me as well. And I think that having people dedicated to that within a university system is so critical Mm -hmm. for these young people, right? Like going to college is so much more than what you're learning in the classroom. And so I asked you about your experience at CN Hall and we have spent the time that we have spent (laughs) talking and none of it has been about your in-classroom experience, not to take away from the academics, but it it really speaks to the power of the individuals that are fulfilling a job, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're doing a job, but it speaks to the power that they have mm-hmm. and the impact that they have on the lives of our students. And so you've taken this and you've, you've run with it and you ended up working and going into a career where you could offer the same level of impact to students as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to do that and why? Yeah, absolutely. I am one of those few, I think, first gens, you know, who was very clear very early on, or I think just college students in general, not just first gens, but oftentimes when you go into college, you have an idea of what you might want to do. But a lot of times you you really don't know because at 18, if you're a traditionally aged college student, like, what do you really know? Right. But I was one of those few people who by that first year of um, college, after going through the EOP summer program, I was instantly bit with the higher ed bug. And I said, you know, I want to continue helping students like me after seeing the way that this program showed up for me and not just specifically students like me, I want to specifically give back to education opportunity programs. I want to become an EOF Mm. counselor. And so Mm -hmm. I made it my goal. I I was very intentional and my career trajectory was very linear from there. Um, But I just locked in and I actually became a peer counselor with the EOP program every summer um, during my years at while you were a student because I yeah. that's how much I felt indebted to the program how much I loved the program and then I went to pursue a master's degree in counseling which I also modeled after my EOP counselor Nancy Capasso Lee who I love so dearly um, 
she had a background in counseling. And I saw how, while her role wasn't to be a therapist and she made that very clear and she was very professional, but I saw the way that having those counseling skills were so critical in being able to support someone like me, a student like me, who wasn't just dealing with academic challenges, right? Her role was to support me academically, right? I think the the role is like student uh, uh, SDS, student development specialist. She did more than just develop me as a student. She helped me overcome challenges that were beyond. And I think that her having that counseling skill set really played in played a role in that and so just being someone who knew how to hold space for me um allow me to sit in my my anxiety my fear my worries i cried in those eop offices more times than i can count have (laughs) broken and shattered to pieces and never felt judged always felt empowered leaving those sessions and felt supported more than anything else Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. and heard so i decided to pursue a master's in counseling and one of the peer counselors that was my peer counselor, my summer of EOP, had, I think uh, pursued her master's at Montclair State. So I started learning like where people were studying, where were they getting these skills? And I was asking questions. So I set my goal to do that. So I ended up getting my master's in counseling with a concentration in higher education and student affairs. And then my first big girl job um, out of college was I was an EOF counselor at Caldwell University, where I also feel like God was by design, placed me there on purpose because the director there at the time is still someone who was in my life. So, you know, I think mm. you're catching a theme here, right? Anyone mm-hmm. who I have been able to come in contact with, I believe that God has done that by design because these are, these are people who I consider my, not just my board of directors, but guardian angels in many ways, right? Because yeah. of the way that they have been able to show up for me. And at later points in my life, when I would end up coming face to face with other, um, you know, really, really deep levels of adversity, um, experiencing like changes in my health. Um, these, all of these people showed up for me in different ways, like prayed for me, called me. Um, Viviana Zambrano was, uh, she, she married my husband and I in my living room during COVID. Like these are not just people who were, who were supporting me as a student. They really just were, like I said before, um, invested, but, or, or as I like to call them, like my, my own forms of guardian angels. And I'm really grateful that I had that type of journey, because as you can see, when I talk about it, I get so passionate because that experience, all of the things that I've done, um, it's all been with, um, a heart filled with gratitude. So I do this Mm. because I really just, I'm so grateful for the support Mm -hmm. I've received. And I just want to be able to reciprocate that in any way that I can. So if I can help impact one other person in the way that these folks have helped me, then I, that is the most fulfilling, rewarding feeling. Um, I love that. And I, and you're just the right person for it because you bring such an energy and such a level of positivity to everything that I have seen you do. So I can just imagine the impact that you're having on the lives of young people. And so where are you now? Where has your career taken you today? You you mentioned a little earlier, 10 years now. I can't yeah, believe it. Over 10 years. I know. I know. <laughs> I I still I, I still can't wrap my head around that. Most days I don't even feel fully like an adult, but then uh life reminds me that I still have very much so adult responsibility. But <laughs> I'm having flashbacks of like us in the second floor of the university center yeah. having meetings. And now we're talking 10 years into your yeah, career. Yeah. So so Where, where's your career now? Yeah. So after having um, that incredible experience right out of uh, graduate school, um, 
being able to fulfill my my dream of becoming a UF counselor, impacting UF students like me. Um, I went on to continue. Um, act, I, I went to work at John Jay in New York City um, as an academic advisor for a program that also offered really unique support services and was really invested in providing um, intensive academic advising support. So the students that I got to serve were also very diverse, um, not all first gen, but very diverse. Um, and it was my first time working with New York City students because my first role was you know, based here in New Jersey. But it was an incredibly, I think that John Jay is where I really learned a lot of, I grew my confidence. Um, I felt like during that time there, I really felt like I had become an expert in the work that I was doing. Um, and I hold, honed in my skills in being able to provide academic advising services, career development, program management. I, I led peer education uh, leadership programs, um, was able to you know, get my hands um, um, into like curriculum design with academic advising. Um, so it was a really exciting time and I was there for five years. And then once I had done that, uh, you know, my, my goal when I got to John Jay was that I really wanted to graduate my cohort because what was really cool about that uh, role there, the ACE program at John Jay, which anybody who is thinking of sending their students to John Jay, I highly recommend looking into the ACE program. Um, the great design about the great thing about the design of that program is that you get the same advisor for from start to finish. And so okay, they wow. really value the they see and recognize the value of meaningful relationships right? Yeah. Being able to form that trust, develop that rapport with your advisor who really knows your, um, understands your goals, understands yeah. where your challenge areas are. So I love that part of the, my experience there is that I got to see my students from start to finish. Um, and it, it was always such a rewarding experience to be able to look back to where they started and just see them get to graduation and just be these, like, just the best versions of themselves, right? Like confident yeah. versions of themselves. And so towards, uh, once I had graduated that cohort, I, I hadn't set a goal in my mind. I knew that um, advising was gonna be, was not going to be the end goal for me. I wanted to be able to challenge myself um, and step into a higher level of leadership. And so insert the organization that I work at now, which is uh, was a bit of a pivot, but it's still aligned with my passion of serving first gens, right? And serving college students. Um, and so the organization that I work for now is a nonprofit called America Needs You, which I actually learned about way back in 2013 when I was at Montclair State as a graduate student. And some of my students at John Jay had actually, um, students from Montclair too, had gone through the program. So I was very familiar with the uh, impact of the program, but essentially what ANY um, for short aims to do is increase economic mobility for first-generation college students. So they do, th do this through transformative mentorship, right? One of the things that I received and yep. really value. Um, and they also do this by uh, through a two-year fellowship program. So for two years, okay. they receive over 200 hours of professional development. They attend monthly um, career development or professional development workshops. And they're learning such important skills that truthfully are just not taught in the classroom, right? Anything from sure. managing up, how to practice an elevator pitch, executive mm. presence, you name it, right? Those are just some of the examples of the workshop, yeah. but they do this for two years and they have a mentor, um, sometimes in their industry or sometimes not, um, but they learn about how to network. And I just right. led an alumni panel. So what I do there is I am the alumni director. So once they complete the two-year program, they become alumni and we currently have over like almost two, that will 
almost 2000 alumni in our network. And so part of my work there is just to continue driving our mission um, to empower first gens um, while in college and beyond um, as they enter um, the professional landscape. So I'm, I'm really, really proud of the work we're doing there and just grateful for the opportunity. That's amazing. Now, uh, throughout the course of the conversation, we've talked a little bit about how in your freshman year, you faced a very difficult moment with the death of your father and having already had lost your mother at a younger age. And then while that may have been a very hard moment, you find yourself full-blown adult in what is another very challenging moment that you kind of touched upon uh, as we've been talking. But can we talk about that a little bit? What was this very defining difficult moment of adversity that you faced um, a couple of years back mm -hmm. and and how did you overcome this challenge? Yeah. Um, so let's see, where do I start? So, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, I, um, I, after, you know, graduating from CN Hall, I, I went to pursue, I, I like, you know, dove right into my career, um, was really, really in love with the work that I was doing. Um, I, I would say I, I was just living like a regular life, right? I was engaged then. Um, so I'm now like bringing us back to, um, 2020 and this is around, you know, when the pandemic had hit, um, yep. I was engaged to my high school sweetheart, um, who I had met at 16. He was 17. I am now 33, but at the time I was 30 years old living a regular life, other than the fact that we were dealing with this, um, you know, awful pandemic, but I was right. working remote from home, still at John Jay. And um, I suddenly started to experience some abdominal pain. And uh, this kind of like introduces like some of the, you know, just frustrations with our healthcare system. Because when I look back, like I, I regret that I um, stopped myself from going to seek out care earlier, because my fear was getting slapped with a big emergency room bill. Um, and looking back, I'm just thinking, you know, there's your, your life is priceless, right? But um, fast forward, right? I, I dealt with those increasing abdominal pains for a week. And up until that point, I had been perfectly healthy. I got my physicals. I mean, given my, my parents' uh, medical history, I was pretty intentional right. about like, you know, going to the doctors and whatnot. Um, but what I was going to find out was nothing I could have ever prepared, prepared for. So what ended up yeah. happening is I get to the emergency room and they essentially tell me that I needed emergency surgery. They had discovered some life-threatening blood clots that were restricting blood flow to my intestines, like just out of an episode of Grey's Anatomy for those who watch the show. Um, and my husband, I mean, my then fiance husband at the time was in Orlando visiting his parents. It had been a while since so he had seen them because of the pandemic. And I was scheduled to fly out to meet him there that same day that I went to the emergency room. But the pain was so wow. intense that I never got on that flight because I, I ended up at the ER instead. And even then, my stubborn self kept telling my husband, Frank, like, don't worry, like, don't schedule a flight to come back yet. Wait till I find out exactly what it is. They're still running tests. And then I got the news. And I remember three surgeons approached me. And I was by myself in the ER because we couldn't have any family with us because of the pandemic. Right. And they told me I needed emergency surgery. And from that day to the next, I was placed in an induced coma for like a month and a half. Um, there were, from the stories that my family tells me, there were, um, things got 
much worse before they got better. So that first week was really critical. Um, and there were moments where my family, you know, doctors were kind of telling my family, like, you know, you may want to start preparing yourselves. Like, um, you know, this is this is a very serious case. Um, but God is so faithful. And this is where I believe that um, in the power of prayer and community, because in my mo in, in the moment where I was literally out of commission, there was nothing that I physically could do um, to, to get me through this moment. My community, my family prayed me back to life. And so I ended up um, getting transferred to another hospital in New York where I'm I believe that was also by design because the, the uh, hospital where I initially went to here in New Jersey was not equipped to deal with my case because it was just so rare. Um, and th quite literally, they they had ran their course of what they were able to do for me. And so at the time they told my family, you know, we, we're going to see if Mount Sinai takes her case. And I remember when my husband tells me the story, he recounts it as like, just in utter confusion. Like, what do you mean if? Like, this has to work. Like, this can't be the end of her story. But by God's grace, this hospital took my case and I actually recently learned that there was a fellow that uh, used to work at Mount Sinai, was a surgeon at the hospital that I was at, that was not even involved in my case, but somehow had learned about my case, called my the surgeons at Mount Sinai, um, phys my physician assistant, on their personal cell phone and said to them, like, there's a girl that just came in, it's not looking good for her, but I think if you take her case, she might have a chance. And when I tell that story, I get chills because again, I, I don't believe that this was by happenstance. I believe that this was all those prayers coming in that were opening doors for that miracle to happen. Um, and so they eventually, they took my case. They did life-saving surgeries on me, surgery after surgery. I eventually, after a month and a half um, of being in this induced coma, was able to go home for a time period. And what ended up happening is, is it's more than I can explain. I won't get too much into the science of it, but I ended up going six months without being able to physically eat or drink anything, um, which was torture in and of itself. And it was in that time of just being at rock bottom. Uh, you know, God tells us that he's close to the brokenhearted. And I am a testament of that. I think my testimony has shown me t over and over again that, um, we don't have to be afraid because God is always with us. And it's a difficult concept to grasp sometimes because life is scary. And these are moments in life that really just like pull the rug from underneath you. And as someone who, you know, has always been someone who in, likes to be in control as a trauma response for having experienced so much adversity where I had zero control over the loss of my parents. Um, this right. was a very humbling experience. When I got home, I was literally, I was so dependent. Frank, my husband had to do everything for me. He had to learn. He became my full caretaker while also working a full-time job in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and I do believe that like uh, God knew exactly what he was doing when he put this man in my life, because he is someone who was my rock during this whole process. Um, and I, I get emotional talking about it because it, you know, people to this day, you know, I tell this story, but people will never really understand um, just how earth shattering that moment was. There was no preparation for it. Um, but I am just so blessed that, you know, 
time and time again, God showed up for us in, in such an incredible way. Um, and my surgeons to this day will tell me that my case was a miracle to hear people who are rooted in science say and testify that, um, mm -hmm. you know, have the fact that I have the life that I have now and the quality of life that they were able to preserve for me was literally a miracle. When I got to Mount Sinai, they told um, my husband that they were 100% sure my intestines were dead. Um, and what that was going to mean was I was going to be, you know, put uh, on standby for an intestinal transplant, which would have meant a life of just really complicated, like a comp complications after complications. And my sur surgeon said to him, uh, but I want to be a thousand percent sure. So I'm going to check one more time. And they did. And they came back and said, her intestines are alive. We don't know how to explain it, but they're alive. We're not out of, you know, the woodworks yet, but, um, you know, we're, there's hope. Um, and, you know, God also tells us that, like, like uh, that he knows the plans that he has for us, the plans to prosper us, plans to give us hope. And he did exactly that during this entire journey. Um, and in the midst of the storm, I, you know, the strength that I displayed was not because there's something special about me, but it is because God was giving me this the strength to be able to get through this because he, I was not humanly it was not humanly possible for me to be able to face this with even despite the resilience I had developed over time it took having to fully surrender and and fully surrender control and just believe that God was going to give us the victory and so we prayed and prayed and we were intentional um every time every surgery every time there was like questions or doubts, we just turned to our prayer warriors and just pleaded to God to, to help us get through it. Because God doesn't always give us the outcome that we want, but what he sure. will do is he will carry us through it and he won't forsake us and he will sit in that storm with you. And just knowing that and experiencing that, it, it taught me, it allowed me to experience a peace that I have never known. Um, which is that now, like I, the way I live my life now, after coming on the other side of that is, um, I, it, it's hard to put in words, but I, I've, the way I've described it before is that I feel like I walk through life now with like a shield, like God's shield, because I feel like if, when life gets hard, it's scary and it's, it's easy to start to like give into fear, but I quickly remind myself, I can physically, you know, look at my scars and remind myself like, God has brought you this far. He's not about to give up on you yet. So just trust in his plan because his plan is always bigger. And I am just, I will never get tired of just expressing my eternal gratitude for what God has done for me in that moment in my life, but just overall the people that he has placed um, and how he has just been so intentional to to be able to get me to this place. And I truly believe that, you know, he has given me this testimony and he has, you know, allowed me to be able to find a way to take all of this pain and transform it into some purpose. And that's why I'm so grateful for even the opportunity to be able to share my story here, because if anyone hears this and is dealing with any level of adversity, I pray that you would experience God's goodness, that you would experience his presence, um, because that is the only thing, that is the only answer when when 
all options, you know, are done. The only one who can really um, turn it all around is God. And I am a testament of that. I want to thank you so much for being so open to sharing that journey and the difficulties that were within it. I'm fighting back the tears and, and feeling super emotional in hearing your story because it is, it is earth shattering, I think, um, to walk in to the emergency room thinking the way that we, that we do think, right. The way that we think when, when we're just, we've got to pop in real quick that we'll hear something, we'll go home later. And it's, it's something a lot of us have experienced, right? Like we're just, I'm feeling a little funny. Let me go to an urgent care. Let me go to the ER. I'm sure it's nothing. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of, I'm sure it's nothing in our minds. And so to hear that experience and then to hear how your life was in such a, in what felt like it was fragile and in, in such delicate hands and to be talking to you right now, to be seeing you, Mm. it is emotional and it is incredible. And the way that you have coped or the way that you are sharing your coping journey is inspirational as well. And so I thank you for that. And I'm incredibly grateful for your openness and I'm incredibly grateful for your presence, um, you know, and to have you here and to have you on the show. So thank you. And so much of what you said just hits so incredibly deeply because I also think that there are no mistakes, right? I, I do not think that there are mistakes. And so when I hear your story and I hear about one person catching wind of the, of the situation and that one person being the catalyst for getting you to another place and, and the surgeon double checking is just, there are no mistakes. And I really do feel that you are an incredible person and that you have such purpose and your presence here is for a very big reason. Um, so thank you so much. And thank you for sharing how your lens has shifted now that you've lived through this, right? And that was one of the questions I was going to ask is after you live a moment like this, how different does life or the world look to you? My goodness. I, I, I mean, I will always, I will say that even before this, I, I feel like, you know, again, as I've mentioned, like God has just been so intentional with, you know, just positioning me and and building me up for the moments that were going to come. And, you know, there are those, you know, those memes or jokes that they say, like, you know, um, about like being like one of God's strongest soldiers. And like, sometimes you just don't want to be strong, you know, <laughs> yeah. because you've had enough. And there have been so many moments like that where, you know, I have wrestled with my faith, even to this day, you know, I still deal with, you know, human emotions and I, I'm still healing, you know, and I think many of us are, you know, still he- like discovering wounds that we didn't even know existed. And I think moments like this, they some, they have a way of bringing to the surface um, parts of yourself that are in need of healing, right? Like really mm. listening to that inner child and understanding like, um, you know, what this experience is teaching you. So I, I try to live my life, whether through the good or the bad, um, any interaction, whether it's like insufferable or it's the best moment, like 
what can I learn from this moment? How can I use this moment to inform how I navigate my journey from here on moving forward? I Because I have seen, again, time and time again, how by design things have been in my life. Like I, I've only touched the surface really on this call. Right. Like so many moments where I have seen the things that I have prayed for, the things that I have manifested come to fruition. And I, I'm just indebted again with so much gratitude. And I, I look at God, like, I, I know that, you know, I've done, you know, I, I'm not a bad person, but I'm also not perfect. <laughs> and I don't, sure. the amount of blessings that he has placed in my life. There are moments where I'm just overwhelmed because I just, I, it, it's just a reminder of how unconditional God's love is. Um, you know, people will say like, how, how do you stay so positive? And the, the truth is, it's not a question of like, again, that I am the special person. It's because God has given me the tools to be this way. And, and knowing that there is a God experiencing his love and being, being able to feel his presence. Right. And, and being able to observe the everyday miracles in life. Right. Mm, when I, mm-hmm. when I go through life now, like if I take a sip of water after like being really thirsty, like I, I, I can, I'm reminded of the times where I went months without being able to drink anything and, and thinking about the sacrifice that God had to make for us to be able to have the lives that we have. Like I, all of that puts it all into perspective. So I try to live a life um, where I, I try not to complain, but I guess I'm human. Right. But I try to, <laughs> I try just to live my life with the, with the attitude of gratitude. Right. Because mm-hmm. sure, like things can always be worse, but that doesn't mean that we're not entitled to just sit in our feelings. Sure. Like there were so many moments in my journey where I found myself feeling angry and just disappointed and, and wrestling again with that faith with God. Like if this is my life, cause there was a moment where I had completely hit rock bottom and I was back in the hospital after kind of sort of recovering, but I was back again and I did not expect things. I, I thought maybe this was as good as things were going to get. And this was my new qual- version of life now. Um, you know, but this was not the body that I was, that I once knew. This was just, this was not the life that I once knew. This is not what I had planned. And when I ended up back in the hospital, there was moments where I said to myself and I had really hit a dark place where I was like, God, like, if this is what my life is going to look like, like just end it now. And to to Mm. hear myself, like I never would have thought of myself to be someone who could hit that low of low. So I want people to know that even for the strongest people out there who, who who wear like positivity on their face, we all have our trauma. We all have our wounds that we are still trying to heal or don't, again, don't even realize exist. And I think that's why it's so important to have community, right? To have people who remind you of who you are, right? And who will help mm. pull, you, pull you out of that rut. Um, and it was during that time where like I, I, again, I really believe that those prayers were doing what they needed to do um, because ultimately I was able to get out of that. And there was nothing that I had really done. It was a lot of just wait and see. And again, it's that, that concept of just surrender, right? Like having to fully surrender when you realize you have zero control over the situation, you just have to let go and let God. It is it is a really difficult thing to do but on the other side of that you discover that there's peace right when you finally surrender that control and you take that burden off because you no longer have to feel responsible for figuring it out Mm. when you put it in god's hands 
there is a peace that comes with that that I don't even know how to put in words. But as someone who has walked through life trying to control every inch that I possibly can, it is exhausting. It wears at you. <laughs> and, you know, this is a reminder that you don't have to carry that burden, whatever you are carrying your deepest fears, like you can give that to God and he will give you peace in return. So I already forgot what the original question was, but I just, I'm just so moved <laughs> as I share this because I, I, I don't know any other way to look at life now, right? Because right. I am a living, walking testimony, right? Of just a, a literal miracle. And I don't, and I give all that glory to God, right? I'm just constantly in awe. I'll experience like I'll, I'll laugh and it won't hurt my belly when I laugh because there was a time in life where I, I couldn't even enjoy laughter anymore because it was painful to laugh and that was a difficult moment so like I will have like a those deep belly laughs and I just I I'm grateful thank you God for for giving me something to laugh about today um so if somebody is rude to me like you know I have my days where I'm better than others but I try to give and extend grace because, you know, I realize that hurt people hurt people. And, you know, sometimes we, what people really need is that just, they need you to pray for them, right? Mm. And so, um, you know, I'm just praying that whoever is waiting on their miracle, that um, if this this story, you know, if resonates with you, that you wouldn't lose hope, that there's, there's joy that comes in the morning, um, whatever that means and whatever way that looks like for you. I love that. Thank you so much. And with that, just a final takeaway. Tell us, let's say we fast forward and in 10 years, I'm still the host of the Pirate Tide podcast. <laughs> and I say, you know what? 10 year reunion. I want to bring mm -hmm. Claudia back. Uh, what, what are we seeing? What are we looking at? Oh, my goodness. What does the future hold for you? That's a difficult question. I mean, I think that I, I will have to ask God to give me some clarity on that. And I think that's something that I'm working on now is trying to grow my relationship with him and, and try to understand like what, what purpose does he really have? What, what can I do with this testimony and how can I take it um, to greater lengths? Um, before you invited me to this podcast, and this is just another example of how uh, God works, right? Is that um, I had been sitting in a um, event with, uh, I was doing like a self-reflective kind of activity with some coworkers. Um, and we were pretty much doing like virtual vision boards of things we wanted more of or less of. And one of the things I had said is that I wanted to share my testimony more. And I think literally the next day you reached out to me about this podcast and I was like, Oh, okay. I think God that just confirmed Jesus wants me to be able to, to share this more. So I think that whatever I'm doing in, in, what did you say? 10 years to come. Um, I hope it's to continue to, to use this pain and, and, and tur like turn it for good because that's what God does. He, he takes what was meant for evil and he turns it for good. So I want to continue to, you know, walk the walk, you know, um, you know, continue my walk with God and, and allow him to be able to use me as a vessel to do whatever I, he has created me to do. And I know that it takes courage to do that because sometimes I'm just like, wait, like, what are you about to get? What are you about to ask me to do? <laughs> yeah. um, but I think right now, uh, I think I'm in a place where I'm in between kind of just trying to find some resolve with everything that has happened because 
you know, there, there's still a lot of remnants of that too. Um, you know, I, I hope that I'm someone by that point who is, continues to just like embrace life in a way that shows that fearlessness um, and trust, like just radical faith in God and just someone who is continuing to, to inspire others um, because I know that there will be more challenges. I know that more, more things will come. And so I don't know what I'll, what comes next, but it's a, it's a question that I've been wrestling with. Um, I'm really happy at where I'm at now um, in terms of my career. I'm so grateful for the people I've met there for the push that they're all giving me. Um, so stay tuned. I guess yes, I can't wait. I know it will be inspirational. It will be amazing. There's no doubt about that. Thank you again so much for sharing your story and for coming onto the coming onto the show. Thank you for holding space for me and just for giving me the platform to hopefully um, you know plant a seed in someone through this story. Absolutely. So thank you. Absolutely. Claudia is just one of more than 100,000 alumni who demonstrate what great minds can do with a Seton Hall education.